you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to the Science of Success with your host, Matt Bonner. Welcome to the Science of Success. I'm your host, Matt Bodner. I'm an entrepreneur and investor in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm obsessed with the mindset of success and the psychology of performance. I've read hundreds of books, conducted countless hours of research and study, and I'm going to take you on a journey into the human mind and what makes peak performers tick. With a focus on always having our discussions rooted in psychological research and scientific fact, not opinion. In this episode, you're going to learn about the one personality test that can predict success in the real world, the surprising data-backed truth about achievement, the incredible importance of willpower, the ultimate indicators for personal growth, and much more with our incredible guest, Peter Shallard. Because the science of success has exploded in popularity since launch, with more than 250,000 downloads, making the front page of New and Noteworthy, and much more, I wanted to offer something amazing to my listeners. I am giving away a $100 Amazon gift card to one lucky listener. All you have to do to be entered to win is to text the word SMARTER, that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to 44222. Again, that's 44222. And if you've been listening to The Science of Success and loving it, please leave us an amazing review and subscribe on iTunes. This helps us spread the word and get more people to listen to The Science of Success. In our last episode, we went in-depth on the incredible benefits of meditation, looked at a few different ways to meditate, discussed a simple and easy way to get started on meditation, the way that finally got me into a daily meditation practice. We also talked about how meditation increases the size of your brain, your focus, your creativity, your attention, and much more. If you're interested in learning about meditation, definitely check that episode out. Today, we're excited to have an incredible guest on our show, Peter Shallard. Known as the shrink for entrepreneurs, Peter is a renowned business psychology expert and therapist gone renegade. 
He works with entrepreneurs from around the globe to help them master the psychology of reaching their goals of success faster, better, and with a bigger impact. Peter, welcome to the Science of Success. Thanks for having me. So Peter, tell us a little bit uh, about your background. Yeah. So uh, as, as you just said, um, I've got a background in uh, psychotherapy and psychology. I started out um, actually running a private therapy practice working with civilians back in the day. And um, since then, I've kind of specialized in, I found myself as a specialist working with entrepreneurs, uh, which has been a really fascinating experience um, for the last I, almost 10 years now, I think. And um, the practice that I've built, you know, it has me really get this incredible insight through one-on-one consultation with some of the brightest and best people doing some of the most, you know, crazy high-risk sort of venture pursuit in the world. Along the way, I started another company uh, called Commit Action, which is really about helping people who are starting out in business overcome a lot of the psychological obstacles that really prevent them from getting started. And um, that's been kicking around for the last two years and has gotten me obsessed with, you know, pretty much the title of your podcast, The Science of Success. Um, we're trying to really look into empirically what it is, what is it that moves the dial for helping people turn their intentions, their hopes, their desires, their dreams, and all of that into actual concrete results and what really, you know, makes a difference in a tangible, measurable way. So yeah, that's the that's the world that I play in. So you work with some of the smartest minds in neuroscience as part of what you're doing at Commit Action. What have you picked up from kind of running in those circles? Yeah, that's right. So so along the way we figured out that, you know, we wanted to put together a solution for these entrepreneurs who are starting out, you know, the hundreds of thousands of years uh, of sorry, hundreds of thousands of people who are joining the self-employment kind of movement every year. We know that number is growing and growing. And we realized to really get into the science of it, we needed to approach some of the folks who are working on the abs- at the absolute cutting edge uh, in the academic world and who are doing some of this research. So we, you know, we'll work closely with like the professor of positive psychology at NYU. Uh, we've worked with some Harvard neuroscience folks to try to really get an insight into the vast wealth of knowledge that these guys have with the research that they're doing. Um, and so, you know, I have all sorts of exciting little nuggets to talk about that we've picked up from some of these smart people who are on our company's advisory board and also, you know, that we've, that we've, that, that we've used to inform the work that we do at Commit Action with our members um, and we've actually become a bit of a statistical sort of force to be reckoned with because, you know, in the last, I think, three years, we've conducted over over 10,000 one-to-one phone calls with entrepreneurs all around the world. And um, when we're doing that, we're collecting all sorts of data about how these people are accomplishing their goals, um, you know, what sort of intentions they're setting, what the follow-through looks like. We're basically empiricizing the science of achievement and tracking all of this stuff. And so... Our long-term intention is actually to be working with some of these incredible academics who are figuring out amazing, amazing stuff, you know, through these studies that, to be honest, primarily uh, revolve around sort of undergrad students coming into a lab and being, you know, playing various games and doing kinds of examinations to figure out these uh, these different hypotheses. Where we're really hoping to be able to take some of this stuff and apply it to the business world, where there's you know, this bottom line metric, which is, can you help somebody who's made it their mission to build a business, who's maybe quit their job, 
with the intention of, I don't know, starting a web design company or finally creating that widget that they've always had as a hobby and they want to see if they can bring it to market and make that their source of income and whatnot. And can these insights into the psychological science that really show that, you know, at least in the lab, this is how you can predict someone's performance. This is how you can improve someone's performance. This is how you can make a goal more achievable. Will this stuff actually move the dial in the real world? We're starting to see some really exciting signs of that happening. And, um, you know, as we grow our business and uh, get to even more of a significant sort of statistical sample, we'll, we'll be working closely with these guys to, you know, hopefully be running efficacy studies of our own. That's fascinating. So over 10,000 one-on-one phone calls collecting all kinds of uh, information. Yeah. I mean, at this point, we're also, you know, we have a proprietary web app, which is an amazingly powerful tool that our members use to plan out their goals. I mean, just to, I don't want to talk too much about the, well, you know, what the actual business does, because I don't want to just pimp it out here. It's not my intention. But, you know, the thing that we do do is we meet with our our members every week over the phone and help them essentially plan their goals for the next week. So at a primary level, the service we provide is like kind of like personal training for productivity, just like you'd go to the gym and have someone sort of yell at you and spit in your face to make you do push-ups. We're actually providing a service where these entrepreneurs, many of whom are incredibly isolated, they feel in the real world at least that there's not too many people in their friends and family groups who sort of understand or get what they're going through. They'll meet with one of our coaches over the phone and also through this virtual experience that our app um, facilitates and they'll plan out the week ahead, you know, create incredible clarity around what they should be focusing on and then leverage the accountability of having a, you know, a pro help them with all of this to actually make sure that they get it done. So we're, we've created this kind of revolving seven-day ritual. Now, the exciting thing about that from a scientific point of view is it gives us this amazing snapshot of people's lives and, and really gets us, you know, gets solid data on how many things are people actually accomplishing that they articulate as clearly defined actions and, you know, what is the effect of applying more specificity to goal setting and things like that. You know, any particular question you might have about how an entrepreneur goes about accomplishing a goal, we can basically, you know, run a survey out to hundreds and hundreds of people within seven days and get like a 99% response rate and have some really interesting data, you know, to play with. So we're, we're really trying to figure out what is it that really matters? What is it that really helps people, you know, succeed in an area and in an industry, honestly, that I believe there's just so much kind of noise. There's so much BS, to be honest. There's so many people peddling all kinds of like, we can help you be successful type uh, products and services. And uh, yeah, it's our mission to be the one that actually works. So... What are some of the takeaways that you've seen from kind of diving into those snapshots of, of people's lives? Yeah, so this is this is the whole reason I was excited to talk to you. And I think that the, the place that I'd like to start the conversation is, you know, is, is to say that what the science tells us is, and this is going to be a big letdown for everybody here, is that the truth about achievement, about, I guess, the science of success is that it's deeply unsexy. Um, there's a lot of really cool ideas, you know, that are out there kicking around the personal development industry. You know, you can go out on a retreat, you can pay like 
you know, thousands of dollars to go to some retreat where you sort of do like a sweat lodge or some incredible like heart cracking wide open ceremony where you're going to have an epiphany and, uh, you know, maybe cry like a little baby and have this amazing sort of almost psychedelic insight into what's been holding you back, uncover limiting beliefs and, you know, really like examine the very essence of your soul. What we've discovered is that that stuff very rarely actually makes a difference. Um, that the things that really help people actually simply get more done or accelerate progress towards a clearly defined outcome, um, you know, literally things like increasing profitability of a small business, that sort of stuff, that it is actually really deeply unsexy, that it has to do with a lot of basic psychological concepts, which we're happy to talk about in a lot more depth, um, that at first look seem really kind of intuitive and boring and kind of like, oh, yeah, I know I should be doing that. Um, but when you look a little deeper, I think that where it gets exciting is that a lot of these a lot of these concepts and ideas are, uh, I guess, things that we might think we know about, but that so few people are applying. And that's what we've really discovered. I mean, one of the most shocking things that has kind of come up as a sort of a hypothesis that we're brewing and, you know, that we're seeing a lot of evidence for is that initially when I when I started this business, when we started working with these sort of beginner entrepreneurs and, and, and new folks to entrepreneurship, I sort of believed that success was a spectrum, right? I, I thought that, uh, you know, just intuitively, there was probably people who are really struggling and there's people who were, you know, really, really crushing it, hitting home run after home run, serially successful entrepreneurs, and then everyone in between all the colors of the rainbow. Once we started looking at these psychological uh, dynamics, these kind of core ingredients that seem to really make up, you know, the ability for someone to, to be able to set a goal and achieve it, you know, I guess as easily as possible. We found that there was an almost binary difference, or at the very least, there was a big chasm, a huge gulf between the kind of haves and the have nots, that there's a huge number of people, the vast majority of people who are aspiring entrepreneurs, which is the only sort of sample population we deal with, they actually are, you know, totally lacking a lot of the stuff that seems very intuitive. And then there's a very tiny fraction of a percent of really high performers who have the, you know, what I kind of think of as the psychological equivalent of a silver spoon in their mouth, right? Like they've got this incredible advantage, whether they've picked that up from, I don't know, their parents, their education, something in their life has conditioned them to, you know, think about goals in a certain way to manage their own performance in a certain way to sort of measure their expectations in a certain way. And they have this, they have this ability that helps them from the outside, look like absolute wizards look like people who are capable of just taking a dream or an idea and and blowing it up into something extraordinary. But yeah, that was one of the most kind of shocking things. But when we really look at the individual pieces of the puzzle, what we actually find is that, yeah, it's it's pretty unsexy stuff. It's uh, there, there isn't any magic bullet in here that's going to feel like an epiphany to your listeners. So I'll, I'll warn everybody who's listening now, as you go through this podcast, uh, you're going to probably learn a whole bunch um, and it's going to be very real and tangible, but there won't be any moment where you where your mind is blown by some completely foreign and alien concept because what actually works is the most sort of unsexy and real sounding stuff, advice, tactics, strategies of all. So I'm very intrigued. Tell me more about these, as you call them, deeply unsexy concepts that underpin some of the highest achievers results. 
Okay, cool. So yeah, the, the, the first thing is, you know, one of the things I've always been obsessed with, anybody who's kind of interested in psychology loves uh, personality profiles, personality tests, that kind of stuff, right? Myers-Briggs, there's all kinds of, there's a whole spectrum of these, you know, ranging from the ultra sort of spiritual woo-woo, totally unscientifically validated, but in, you know, in my opinion, still sometimes genuinely very interesting systems for splitting up personality and figuring out who you are right through to the ones that we think of as more scientific. In, uh, I believe it was in the 80s, but I'm not, uh, not totally sure. They were actually off the top of my head. There was a group of, uh, of psychologists and social scientists all around the world who got together to try to kind of figure out, they, they, they ran a sort of a global symposium to figure out, well, what is it about, you know, what is the real personality type? Like, let's, let's get rid of all the noise. Let's try to scientifically, you know, really dig down and find out what are the, what are the traits? What are the fundamental building blocks of personality? Um, and this is the key that we can use to actually predict success. Because they, because if you can't use a personality trait or a personality type, a label of some kind to predict anything, then you know, then what's the point? Is it actually real, right? So these guys got together and they eliminated a huge amount of uh, different different systems and basically boiled it down to what are now known as the Big Five personality traits. And uh, you're, you're familiar with Big Five, right? Uh, a little bit, but tell me more and kind of explain it so that the listeners can really understand the big five or as I think it's also known, the five factor model. Right. So the, yeah, right. The five factor model. So the five factors that we're talking about here and, and what's really important to sort of preface this with, uh, these are not uh, types in the Myers-Briggs sense where you can sort of be one or the other extrovert or introvert. And, and it's about what kind of unique, beautiful snowflake are you? These are almost like, I think of them as levels, like in a video game when you have a character who levels up. So we're looking at a high score being, uh, you know, implied as, as superior and higher functioning and a low score being implied as, as lower functioning. The five factors are openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness. And then the last one is neuroticism, which is a kind of a, a reverse score. I'll explain that. We'll go through them a little bit. Openness, number one, is basically, you know, openness to experience. It's really fundamental curiosity it's the idea that, you know, some people are more just genuinely open to variety, to the experience of the new in their life. And what, they've found, what, what these guys figured out is that this, uh, this trait uh, is really, really important for things like self-actualization at the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's really a big part of, uh, they, we believe, people's ability to ultimately be happy because seeking out new experiences and being open to new experiences is what really gives us a lot of emotional fulfillment. The second trait, conscientiousness, is the one that I really want to talk about today. Conscientiousness is the big success predictor. You know, at the base level, it's it can really be looked at as just a tendency to be kind of organized and and sort of uh, very deliberate, you know, uh, self-disciplined in a lot of ways. But when we look a little bit, uh, a bit deeper into it, we start to associate conscientiousness with somebody who's incredibly good at an understanding of and, and an appreciation for delayed gratification. So conscientiousness is the hardworking personality trait. People who have high levels of this are incredibly good at 
uh, present moment sacrifice in pursuit of a long-term outcome. And, uh, and of course, you know, as you're listening to this, this, this sounds like an entrepreneur. This is somebody who's willing to work 16 hours a day so that they can really create something, um, you know, for themselves or, you know, make some kind of a big impact down the road. Extroversion, um, this is an important one to kind of clarify because a lot of people are obsessed with this idea of extrovert slash introvert that comes from um, Myers-Briggs. Uh, extroversion in the big five is, uh, is a little bit of a different concept. It's less about how you sort of recharge your batteries, which is the phrase uh, thrown around you know, in the Myers-Briggs world a lot. And it's more about how sort of outgoing and energetic you have the ability to be how well you cope with the stimulation of of sort of others of uh, you know groups of people. The thing about Myers Briggs is that there's a lot of introverts who have the ability to be quite highly extroverted. They just get really exhausted by it. For the purposes of the Big Five, how your sort of energy responds to being extroverted doesn't really matter. It's about whether or not you have the ability to do it. Um, and so extroversion is really, you know, powerful in predicting things like people's ability as salespeople, um, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and also, you know, just predicting how people socialize and, and, and play well with others. Agreeableness. These last ones, are, I'm not. I'm, I'm more interested in conscientiousness. But just since we're we're giving a little bit of a dictionary definition here, we'll we'll power through them. Agreeableness is basically uh, a sort of a, a tendency to basically get on well with others, to to be cooperative. It tends to really kind of resonate with people who find themselves matching uh, conversationally with people. So when they when they when they chat with others in a social context, they're more likely to search for shared experiences. They're more likely to uh, have a say a lot of yeses and make a lot of literally agreements in a conversation rather than seeking to you know criticize where the other person may be incorrect or sort of analytically pick apart someone's arguments as though every conversation is some kind of Socratic dialogue. So people with a low score in this area are sort of often perceived as, as very like highly competitive, very sort of argumentative people. And then neuroticism is kind of a reverse trait. We actually want to have a really low score with neuroticism. Neuroticism is basically just kind of how solid our grip on reality really is, you know, how well, how good we are at emotional self-soothing, how good we are at kind of, uh, you know, controlling our negative emotions and being resilient in that sense. It has a lot to do with emotional stability and impulse control. And, um, you know, you could actually, I often think it's a bit of a shame that they've called it neuroticism. It's because that there's this beautiful acronym, OCEAN, Openness, Conscientiousness, Extroversion, Agreeableness, uh, Neuroticism. Really, it should be emotional stability with a positive score, right? So you want to you wanna be really good at that. And so basically, these, these five factors, uh, you know, what these, these social scientists and psychological scientists figured out, this is the stuff that really, really matters. Um, this was a while ago. You know, these are the traits that we can say pretty, uh, pretty empirically that when people have high scores on all of these and a low score on neuroticism, they're going to be a successful person. They're going to be more likely to, you know, maybe make a lot of money, maybe stay in a long-term relationship, uh, maybe raise, you know, healthy, well-adjusted children or whatever it is that you really care about. Now, to finish this massive soliloquy that I'm giving here, 
where we get really excited is in some of the developments that have happened the last 10, 15 years, particularly in the positive psychology field, uh, breaking down this idea of conscientiousness and really proving that to be one of the most powerful predictors for success in any particular area of life that really matters. And yeah, that's kind of what we're seeing right now is that conscientiousness and a bunch of associated sort of traits and synonyms for essentially that thing, that ability to appreciate delayed gratification, that ability to work hard is something that, yeah, that that just straight up predicts phenomenal uh, success. And probably where this began was with uh, the uh, the famous marshmallow experiment, which I wouldn't be surprised if you've had other guests on this podcast talk about. Um, this is a guy called uh, Walter Michelle who basically had a bunch of kids come in and do this experiment where they had to, where really the challenge was for them to succeed at resisting immediate gratification. So what they did is they had them, uh, they put a marshmallow out in front of a, uh, in front of these kids and they told them that if they could wait, I think it was something like 15 minutes um, in a room alone with a marshmallow sitting on a table in front of them, they would have two marshmallows. They could wait 15 minutes and not eat the first marshmallow. Now, what they found is that um, the kids who were able to hold out the full 15 minutes, these are very young children, I forget the exact age, but I'm thinking sort of five, six, something like that. What these kids who held out for the full 15 minutes uh, did 210 points higher on their SATs down the road than those who caved within the first 30 seconds. Not only did they perform better academically as they grew up, they were also more popular. And in these studies that tracked kids going through uh, into adult life, they earned higher salaries. They also had lower BMIs. They were physically healthier people. Um, and this all comes from an, you know, an experiment that just, basically measures how conscientious are these kids how how good are they at uh delayed gratification so that's it it's through the big five and then narrowing down into conscientiousness that we're starting to see in the last few years the the science of of psychology and performance psychology be able to actually tell us what are the things that really matters and this is an exciting time because you know up until very recently Almost all psychology was theoretical, was, you know, based on really, really smart guys, admittedly, having a lot of bright ideas and and basically writing down incredible theories and and just thinking stuff in an armchair. It was almost, you know, the philo philosophy of psychology. And so it's exciting to be able to see this stuff actually create results in a lab. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Well, that's that whole thing is fascinating. Um, and, and I think that this is definitely a conclusion that you know, people may not agree with or like this message, but um, the the outcome of the marshmallow experiment alone, uh, which we actually I don't think we have talked about before on the podcast, is staggering. How can people really understand or kind of measure their own you know scores on this test? Is it something you can go out and take, or how can you kind of take a look at yourself as you are today? Yeah, it's it's a good question. It's funny because. You know, the big five, this is the thing that's so unsexy about it is that when these guys figured out the big five and 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 conscientiousness and all this stuff, they really, they really realized that they had distilled down personality traits to the point where it was no fun anymore. And there really isn't a test anymore. They actually say, I think, I'm not sure. I'm sure if you look up the Wikipedia for the big five or whatever, you'll find that it's kind of widely agreed that if you want to get a measure of the big five in adults, you literally just ask people to self-score. You know, there are tests out there, but they're so uh, they're not like these really fun personality tests that people really enjoy where they ask you these sort of gnomic questions, right? Like it's like, you know, do you prefer pineapples or mangoes? Oh, you're an extrovert. You know, these are, these are really, you know, questions more along the lines of, um, how do you feel about working really hard uh, for a goal that <laughs> that's down the road, that's in the future? So because they've distilled it down to these fundamental basics, it, it's gotten to this place where there isn't any mysticism anymore. So, you know, I think just knowing about these things is the is the real takeaway here. Certainly, you can you you can look online and and take a test to figure out what your big five score is, but I think it's more useful to really think of these as the ultimate uh, indicators for personal growth. And if we if our mission is to be happy and successful in life, you know, one of the things that we can look at doing is increasing our openness to experience, increasing our conscientiousness, our ability to do this delayed gratification thing, working to increase our extroversion, our agreeableness, and just generally lowering our neuroticism and increasing our emotional stability. Um, and so I think that using them as a guide for growth rather than a, a, a place to sort of pigeonhole yourself is really important because that's what the big five have really evolved into. It's not like Myers-Briggs or some of these other uh, personality profiling systems, a method for figuring out your identity. You know, that's, that's, that's really the big difference that folks have to understand is that when you find out, you know, you're a ENTP or whatever in Myers-Briggs, it's really telling you this is your particular unique, beautiful snowflake. Enjoy this. You know, these are your strengths. Try, you know, maybe you might sort of behaviorally try to, once you find out you're really extroverted, maybe you'll, you know, do a little bit more of that or whatever. But the big five is different in that it's more of a recipe, uh, a guide for us to tell us what to improve. So I think it's it's less about asking yourself what you are, because I think that at a fundamental level in our bones, we know if we have a problem with conscientiousness. We know if we have a problem with extroversion, you know, it's more about using uh, these tools to figure out how you can improve. 
So I, re- I really like the the kind of description is that these are indicators for personal growth. It's kind of the roadmap and pointing you in the direction of where you need to be thinking about in terms of how you can kind of level yourself up. Right. And so do you think that, and, and I guess, what does the research say about how fixed are these traits? You know, I can, I can hear somebody now saying, well, how can I change my neuroticism or how can I, you know, shift to being more conscientious? Is it something that can actually be kind of improved and leveled up or is it something that you're, that's unchangeable? Yeah. So, so the, 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 the science of conscientiousness is something that we're obsessed with at Commit Action. You know, myself and everybody at the organization, this is the number one thing that we're focusing on because as I said, where, you know, conscientiousness has been proven several times over to be one of the only accurate predictors for success and particularly for financial success. And obviously we're working with entrepreneurs. They care about this stuff. So we're, we're obsessed with it. And what we're actually doing, you know, we provide a service that's designed to level up conscientiousness. And there are a lot of ways that you can go about doing it. The, you know, the best and brightest minds who are studying conscientiousness and, and associated sort of traits, there's a lot of synergy for it that are kicked around the you know the psychology world like uh, willpower like uh, grit you know determination that kind of stuff um, these guys all kind of agree that that this thing really uh, the best metaphor for it I guess is a muscle and a lot of the best researchers are really happy with that as a metaphor and and what that means is that it's a part of our, our personality. It's a mental sort of faculty that we have that becomes stronger the more we work it out. And to be clear, that also working it out makes it really exhausted, right? As anybody who who is a big kind of gym junkie knows, if you go to the gym and you do like some crazy sort of leg day workout, tons of squats, that sort of thing, the next day your legs are going to feel incredibly shaky, right? Like you're going to have trouble getting out of chairs. But if you do this, you know, over a period of months, you're eventually going to be able to be objectively stronger. You're going to be able to squat a far bigger weight or lift a far big deadlift, a, you know, a much bigger weight. And that that's pretty much exactly how our conscientiousness, conscientiousness in particular really works. It's something that we can work out. And the way we work it out is by hitting it like we would a muscle, by hammering it, by demanding uh, of ourselves that we use this ability. Um, And so it doesn't really matter where you are with conscientiousness. What matters, I fundamentally believe, is that we approach this, that all of us approach this with a fundamental optimism, you know, that we can, in fact, go and uh, build the skill. So what are some of the practical ways that uh, either you guys use at Commit Action or maybe some of the listeners could employ in terms of actually kind of building that muscle and really working it out? Yeah, so it's a, that's a great question. It depends a little bit about, you know, on where you're kind of at with it, right? Like where where you, where you feel your your ability lies with with conscientiousness. I think that it's always, you know, best to start small if you f- particularly if you feel like you're a very, you know, undisciplined person that you sort of struggle with delayed gratification. It's something that you can begin to actually exercise with with something as simple as, you know, actual exercise, right? Like working out at a fundamental level is, uh, is an exercise in delayed gratification, you know, going for a run, going to the gym, it doesn't feel good in the moment. 
it does feel good afterwards, but what you're pursuing is a long-term result in that like in a year you get to have a six pack or you get to lose a bunch of weight or whatever it is that you're looking for, you get all of the, the benefit, you know, much, much further down the road. So if you've never really done anything like that before, that can often be a really good place to start. Now for the entrepreneurs we're working with, we're trying to, you know, directly apply this to, uh, business pursuits. So we'll do a lot of different things. I mean, we have a very, we have a one-to-one service. We put one of our incredible sort of productivity and accountability coaches one-to-one on, you know, on these phone calls with, with our members, but we'll have them do things like, you know, dedicate a certain portion of the day, you know, five days a week, they'll do something that is incredibly scary to them. Like a really common one, because we have so many folks who are, you know, starting businesses, they're in the first few years of getting going, they need to be doing something called cold calling, which is literally jumping on the phone and prospecting for business, particularly common for people who have uh, business to business businesses that they run where they're selling things to other companies. And so this is a, this is a terrifying uh, exercise for a lot of uh, newcomers to entrepreneurship, a lot of people who don't have sales experience. I mean, to be honest, it's terrifying even for people who do have that experience sometimes. And so it meets the criteria of that delayed gratification exercise, right? Because it's painful up front. It's very difficult to pick up the phone and call a stranger and run the risk that you may be horribly rejected uh, in pursuit of, you know, maybe opening up an opportunity when one in 10 calls is maybe going to go your way. And even if it does, you're not actually going to sell something to that company that you just called, you know, for another month or two or three or six, right? So it's this, uh, it's this incredible slow process, yet we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it actually works. You know, billions of dollars of business are done this way all around the world every, you know, every year. So we'll do, we'll, we'll play little games with our clients. We'll have them do things like uh, take an hour out of every morning where they do nothing but cold call. We'll build an entire kind of ritual around that. We'll have them sort of understand that if they narrow the scope of the challenge down to 60 minutes or even 30 minutes to get started or even just kind of making one call if they're really resistant, that they can build up a habit of sort of doing this thing that hurts, of, of doing the delayed gratification thing, of conscientiously applying themselves uh, outside of their comfort zone. And, and what actually starts to happen is, you know, this extraordinary thing where the person does it and then creates a psychological feedback loop that gives them this incredible sense of confidence uh, and well-being because they're, you know, ultimately they feel great because they've started doing the thing. Now, this is the same thing that you'll see when somebody without an exercise habit spontaneously develops one. They start running, you know, a couple of weeks in, they really, they're not getting the results yet, but they really start to feel incredible I think because of the, you know, the internal narrative that we have of like, hey, I'm doing this. I'm finally kind of taking action on this. So I'm trying to cook this down into a sort of a practical takeaway for your listeners. But I think that if you've got something that you're horrifically procrastinating, and that's fundamentally why everybody who works with us comes to us in the first place. They know that they there's something they should be doing and they know they should be doing it. They need to do it. If you've got something like that, you can begin to build your conscientiousness muscle by creating a highly specific challenge, a sort of a daily ritual or, you know, a very, very short term implementation goal. Um, And I'm tapping into all sorts of other psychological science, you know, using these sort of buzzwords here. And when you really just focus on that one thing, it demystifies the enormity of the project, right? I mean, just thinking about making, you know, 10 cold calls a day for the rest of your life is horrifically, you know, it's terrifying, right? 
but when it's sort of like I just have to pick up the phone today, you you look at this at this from a different perspective, and you'll do it, and it will engage that willpower muscle, that conscientiousness muscle, and you'll be depleted at the end of that hour or that half hour. You'll be really worn out. But if you do this enough, you'll come back and get stronger and stronger and stronger before you become, you know, in the case of our members, the kind of entrepreneur who eats cold calls for breakfast. And and that's really what it's all about. I love the phrasing or kind of thinking about it in terms of the idea of embracing discomfort. Um, that's something that we've talked about on the past in Signs of Success. We actually have a whole episode about the concept of how to embrace discomfort. And we actually kind of tie in another thing that we call the sphere of discomfort, um, which is a very similar sort of concept that the more you kind of play at the edges of, of your comfort zone, the more that that expands and, and broadens. And then you can really kind of create, you know, open up new frontiers and new opportunities that would have been essentially invisible to you before you kind of built that muscle. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that I think that this is fundamentally this is the unsexy truth about real personal growth about real I you know, I almost sort of wince to say this, but real personal development, not in the epiphany sort of seminar, raise your hands in the air and scream about it since but in a tangible can you measure this in your business's bottom line? Can you measure this on your scales? Can you measure this in some way that you know, that actually matters? And, and it does have to do with leaning into these, you know, these ultimately painful experiences. One of the things that I think is very counterintuitive that a lot of people sort of don't understand about this is that there is a real drain. There's a real psychological drain um, that, that a, a, some researchers have kind of pinpointed and described as ego depletion. And this is this is the draining of the fuel tank. This is the the wearing out of the muscles. And um, one of the ways that we see uh, these entrepreneurs over at Kim in Action really kind of shooting themselves in the foot, tying themselves in knots, creating self sabotage of of all kinds, is that they they have these phenomenally high expectations of themselves. And this is true of you know, I think anyone who sets out to be an entrepreneur, almost universally, they have these enormous expectations. Um, a lot of folks in the world have these very high expectations for themselves. And it becomes a problem because the high expectations are 24-7. They sort of think to themselves, if I can do this once, I can do it whenever. I should be performing at this high level. I should be working, you know, maybe 16 hours a day while I'm really building this business um, or whatever it may be. What what this doesn't account for is this phenomenon, well studied and, and measured and, and quantified at this point, phenomenon of ego depletion. And what ego depletion is, is when we engage that psychological muscle, we're actually really draining I, I sort of hesitate to use the word energy, but that's kind of what it is. We're really draining this mental energy. Now, this is actually, you know, being backed up and validated by um, all sorts of brain science. It's it's uh, been understood. There was a study out of the University of Toronto, I think, that showed that ego depletion causes a slowdown in the anterior cingulate cortex. So the brain area that's basically crucial for regulating self-control. And um, what is actually going on is that when we engage it, when we wake up in the morning and make ourselves go for a run, and it takes a lot of willpower, it takes a lot of effort, we have to sort of grit our teeth and go do it. We now have less of that. We are now depleted in a 
sort of metaphorical energetic capacity and in a real neurological capacity. And we have less of that fuel to kind of pour into other activities throughout the day. And so it's this science that is at the heart of of every entrepreneur's favorite story about, you know, entrepreneurial uh, entrepreneurial Jesus, aka, AKA Steve Jobs, uh, and his decision to wear the same black turtleneck and, and, and mom jeans every single day. Because one of the things that we've, you know, that we've discovered is that ego depletion happens at a massive rate whenever we engage our mind in decision making. So if you find yourself, you know, staring into your closet, perplexed at what to wear today and thinking about, well, I'm going to go out, I have this meeting, what should I put on? What temperature is it? Blah, blah, blah. You're actually using this valuable mental fuel to make that decision. If you've ever found yourself, you know, low blood sugar, really hungry, trying to figure out a late lunch and you're gazing into the fridge and you just can't possibly figure out what you should eat. What's going on is that you've had so much ego depletion throughout the day. You've been engaging this mental muscle so much that you you now have none of it left. You're kind of running out of that juice. And that's that brain fuzz that people experience kind of in the late afternoon and the evening where even the smallest decisions just feel completely overwhelming. Um, and it's in that state that you're not going to be able to engage your mind to, you know, do that cold calling exercise or go on that workout. You know, the thing we know beyond a shadow of a doubt is that people who build a habit of working out early in the morning, um, at least when they're high performing executive types, they tend to have a lot more success than folks who try to make it happen at the end of the day. And it's for a fundamental reason. Ego depletion happens all day, every day, because of all the different stuff we have to make ourselves do with conscientiousness, with willpower. And, um, and the only thing that really resets it, well, two things. The biggest one is sleep. We get a new tank when we wake up every morning. And the other one is food, but it's vastly less effective. Um, so there's all sorts of studies that have happened that show that, you know, when people consume a bunch of calories, it does give them a boost in terms of, uh, you know, decision-making willpower. It gives them that mental kind of uh, function back. But the problem is it's, it's, it's sort of temporary, you know, and it follows what we sort of are figuring out about nutrition science, which is that, you know, if you have a bunch of sugar, you get a, you get a short-term lift, but then ultimately you pay the price later on. So really it's, it's, it's sleep, which means that we have a day's tank every single day and we have to wake up and choose to spend it uh, the best that we can. And this is why you'll see these high-level entrepreneurs who work, you know, very, very systematically to eliminate decision-making, uh, superfluous and unnecessary decision-making from their lives for the reason that they're trying to save up, whether because they know the science and they've talked to me or they just intuitively do this, they're trying to save up all the mental juice they can for the ego depletion that really matters. They want to spend that willpower. They want to engage that conscientiousness muscle on, you know, making those cold calls or really performing in that negotiation meeting or whatever it may be. And I think another name for ego depletion is also uh, the concept of decision fatigue, um, which we've, I think, talked about in one or two episodes in the past. And, and I think it's a critical point and something that's super important. Yeah, decision decision fatigue is uh, is absolutely a part of it. Ego depletion encompasses also what happens when we simply engage conscientiousness, right? Like when we engage our conscientiousness skill. So if you're if you need to, you know, decision fatigue happens to 
uh, everybody who goes like shopping for their wedding registry, right? Like go and talk to any salesperson at like, you know, Macy's or Saks or somewhere like that. And they'll, they'll tell you that the couples, you know, really struggle. It burns them out. They have little fights, they get glazed eyes and they're just zombies by the end of like a, like a shopping experience. And the reason is you're basically putting yourself in an environment where you have to go and pick hundreds of things. You have to make hundreds of individual decisions. That's decision fatigue. Ego depletion includes decision fatigue, but it also includes the drain to our willpower that we experience when we try to do anything that involves delayed gratification. So when the kid at the marshmallow experiment table is trying to resist eating that marshmallow for a full 15 minutes. There's some phenomenal ego depletion taking place because it requires willpower for that kid to literally be good, to be the best version of themselves, right? To, to follow through and, 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 and do this good thing. And so it's constantly draining that muscle while he's doing that. And, and a lot of these really fun experiments they do with these undergrad uh, students and whatnot have shown that if you have, uh, there's a great one, I'm going to butcher the paraphrasing of this here, but there's a great one where they had uh, people resist eating, like they had people starve themselves so they'd be hungry. They'd come to the lab. The lab would be filled with the aroma of freshly baked cookies. And they'd have these folks resist eating the cookies. Like you're not allowed to eat the cookies, but they'd just be sitting there looking good, smelling good. And then they'd say, now you go watch this movie in this comfortable lounge and there's all these snacks there and you can eat whatever you want. Like this is your reward, just chill out. Now, of course, what they're actually measuring is how many of those snacks do people really eat? And what they found is that the control group, the people who didn't have to sit and watch the cookies and, and smell the cookies but resist eating them, they would snack. They would have a few chips and M&Ms and that kind of stuff while they watched the movie. But the people who had, uh, who had been forced to engage their willpower and resist the cookies for, for half an hour or whatever it was, they would just go to town on these like snacks while watching the movies because their willpower had been depleted. This ego depletion thing had happened and they didn't have any of that juice left. Fascinating. So what are some ways that people might be able to kind of eliminate random or superfluous decisions throughout their day? Well, to answer that question, I think we should talk a little bit about what we, you know, about what we really do at Commit Action and the sort of philosophy we, you know, behind it. Our uh, hypothesis our, and, and the, the point of our service is to create a weekly ritual for our, our clients that becomes the place that they make decisions about their implementation intentions throughout the week. So that's a fancy way of saying, you know, we help people set goals for the next seven days at a one, at a one, on one recurring point, one time, one date throughout the week. Now, the reason that this is important is that it, it drains us, it, it engages decision fatigue and, and ego depletion to sit down and, and try to do some work, whether you're an entrepreneur or an employee or an artist or anything. If you're sitting down at your desk and thinking, now what should I do? Everything that we know about the science is telling us that that's a, that's a really wasteful use of your mental faculties. So the, probably the best place to get started for people who are interested in the science of success is, is by doing exactly what we do, by building a really solid ritual of planning out what it is that you're going to be doing, what objectives you're going to be chasing uh, with a solid level of, of sort of specificity every single week. And so that, that's the ritual that we do to try and eliminate some of that, that wondering what to do next. And uh, we've found that this is incredibly helpful at helping people move forward, pick up the ball and move it forward on their most important projects. 
So what books or resources do you recommend for the listeners who want to kind of dig deeper either into sort of the five factor model or ego depletion or some of the other topics we've covered today? Um, that is a good, good question. I mean, the first trying to think of a book before I, uh, before I give a shameless plug here, I'm looking at my bookshelf. There's a, there's a lot of different stuff. Look, honestly, the, the thing that if you want to learn more about this, if you're interested in particularly the, the science of success in the sense of, uh, you know, helping yourself really move forward, eliminate any procrastination or self-sabotage or overwhelm or anything like that, and basically turn all of your goals and ideas into actual concrete progress. That's exactly what we do at Come In Action. Our marketing philosophy is a pretty simple one. We believe in generosity. So I've given away basically the best nuggets of our, you know, of all of our research and the stuff that we've figured out. We have a, a series of videos that are a, a, a tutorial training program. Um, and it's absolutely free for everybody to come and check that out. Um, and these, these videos will detail exactly how you can build these kind of concepts. We call them the sort of the pillars of this stuff into your life to become an extraordinarily productive uh, and effective person. Um, particularly if you're a business owner or you aspire to be a business owner, this stuff is going to be really useful. But arguably for anyone who is interested in success and high levels of achievement, you guys should come and check this out. So I was excited to come on the uh, the podcast today. And what I've actually done is set something up special just for the people who are listening to this podcast, because I know that this audience is probably a little more obsessed with the science of all of this than everybody else. So we have a, a video training series that's available to the public. You can go to commitaction.com and sign up. But if you go to commitaction.com slash science, uh, which only is a page that only exists for listeners of this podcast, you can uh, pop your email address in there to get access to the video training platform and unlock all of these videos that we have that you know that are free that tell you how to do this stuff in your own life. We're also going to send the people who opt in there, the listeners of this podcast, a extra training that will be that will focus on just the best nuggets, the best kind of psychological pieces of the puzzle um, that have come to us from our advisory board. And uh, yeah, so you'll get an uh, you'll get a bit of an insight into the actual research itself um, and go into a little bit more detail and also the practical kind of implementation steps, what you can take away from this science and and really build into your life. So we'd like to. I'm I'm really excited to go into even more detail with the folks who are interested in. That, that stuff. So go to commitaction.com slash science. Um, and you'll also hear in that video series from uh, Dan Lerner, who's the professor of psychology at NYU, uh, positive psychology rather at NYU. Uh, he's going to chime in and talk a little bit about some of the science stuff as well. Uh, all in all, it's a, it's a really kick-ass program. And uh, the intention of it is that you can use that to walk away and, and build the stuff in your life and be more effective absolutely on your own. And of course, you know, we do it because we want people to know about our science and our technology and how we might help them. But it's a great resource for everybody anyway. Well, that's awesome. And, uh, and I think the listeners are going to be really excited to check some of that stuff out. So thank you very much for putting that together for everybody. Um, absolutely. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that pretty much wraps up the episode. So thank you so much, Peter, for being on the science of success. Uh, I think this has been a fascinating discussion. And I think um, everybody's really going to want to dig into some of the science and the research behind this. And I, you know, it's in some ways you, you might call it an unsexy conclusion, but at the same time, kind of a, a surprising twist about what really uh, predicts success and what really people should be focusing on in terms of trying to achieve results in their lives. 
Yeah, and that's ultimately, you know, the message that I want to share and, and, and what our mission is all about is understanding that, you know, an incredible amount of the personal development, personal growth stuff that most people are chasing is a bit of a misnomer. It, there is a lot wrong with it. But when we look at the science of what actually works, what it presents is this optimistic view that the things that really make humans superhuman achievers are simple skills that we can work to level up and, and strengthen just as you would a muscle in the gym. And to me, that's exciting. That's the most optimistic kind of view one could take because it means that we all have a shot at, uh, you know, at, at doing better. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on the Science of Success. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Science of Success. Listeners like you are what make this podcast possible. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes. This helps spread the word and share the science of success with more people. As a thank you to you for being amazing, I'm giving away a $100 Amazon gift card to one lucky listener. All you have to do to be entered to win is to text the word SMARTER, that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. Or... If you can't text it in, you can also go to scienceofsuccess.co, that's scienceofsuccess.co, and put in your email. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success.